The views and opinions expressed on Unlock Your Wealth Radio are those of the host, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the views of Unlock Your Wealth Radio, Heather Wagonalls, or Success Publishing International. More willpower than a barefoot woman at a shoe sale. Able to stretch a single paycheck for an entire month. Makes money concepts easier than third grade math. Introducing your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagonall. Work all day, stress all night. Take your mind off your money and focus on your life. Money don't matter for the stuff it bought. It's the way you think, not what you've got, yeah. Unlock Your Wealth Radio starts now. Get your money mind right, right here with right Unlock here. Your Wealth Radio. This is the maestro of moolah, Michael Terry. Hey, folks. And I am she, your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagonhalls, and we are going to help you get your money mind right on today's show with the following great features. First off, we have an interesting <laughs> moolah word of the day. That's your hint. An interesting moolah word of the day. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, we have a key this week, and we also have an amazing guest, and I'm so proud of this guest because if I do say so myself, I was one of his first mentors. Thank you. I mean, well, outside of his father, and you'll hear about that in his story, but we have Michael George Lozanich the second on today's show. It's pretty exciting. So I'm super excited about that. we got a great show. But first, this segment of Unlock Your Wealth Radio is sponsored in part by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com forward slash unlock your wealth and click on the link to download over 150 thousand titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. So Miguel, what is our key? I don't even know. Knowledge is power. Not knowing is powerful. Yes. Very good. And that plays into actually what what questions that we could ask in our interview. Okay. Because yeah. he is, our, our interview guest, Michael George Lozanich II, is, uh, is he is a very young in age, but not an experienced entrepreneur, which is what's so exciting because older people have had less experience going into business than he has. And uh, so he'll share his really exciting story. Kid got started early. I know. It's so cool. Uh, And and I was really excited too. I'll tell you more about it when I go to introduce him. But anyway, anyway, but first, yes. So our Keys to Riches um, is now a live show and you can get it on Tuesdays on Facebook at our show page, Unlock Your Wealth. Radio, Facebook.com forward slash Unlock Your Wealth Radio. And we do a live version of these, and it's so much fun. Let me just tell you because I can interact with you guys. You guys can participate. You can be a part of the show. You can beam in and ask me questions live. It's awesome. So uh, so you'll want to tune in because knowledge is power. Not knowing is powerful is super important because it's not always um, what we know. That's the challenge is what we don't know, but should, that's the bigger problem. And so that's what this week's key is. We will also talk about how this, we'll do a knowledge checklist on what you should know about money. And we'll talk about our three, five financial strategy. And there are three questions you need to ask yourself and address five areas of concern. So that's where the three, five come from. So it's a three, five financial strategy. You do this and you will, you will increase your ability to be financially free just by employing these three questions 
in five areas of concern. It's pretty powerful. So we'll talk about our 3-5 financial strategy on Tuesday, as well as the knowledge checklist, which is critical because there, you got to know things. You got to know things when it comes to your money. And you can't keep your head in the sand and hope and pray that your bad money situation will go away because, you know, what we avoid expands. So we're going to, as we talked about in our first key, acceptance and affirmation, we had to accept where we are and what our financial limitations or foibles are and move forward. So in that process of removing that blanket of denial that anything is wrong with our finances, uh, this is part of that awakening and elevating our level of awareness about our finances. Mm. So join us next Tuesday. It'll be so fabulous. And uh, yeah, so we'll talk about that on Facebook Live. I'm so excited about that. Uh, So it's a really great show. You can interact. It's super cool. So that's it for this week's key. Let's talk about the moolah word. That's cute. So I said it was interesting, didn't I? Must have something to do with interest. (laughs) Very good, Miguel. Very good. So the purpose of me saying that is interesting, the moolah word of the day is discount rate. So the discount rate is the rate at which member banks may borrow short-term funds directly from the Federal Reserve Bank. Okay, so you're supposed to, so all banks have a minimum amount of money that they have to have in reserve. Um, So the discount rate is one of the two interest rates set by the Fed, the other being the Fed funds rate. So the Fed actually controls this rate directly, but this fact does not help with regard to policy implementation, um, since banks can also find such funds elsewhere. Um, It's also called the Federal Reserve or the Fed discount rate. And the interest rate is used in discounting future cash flows. Um, It also has to do with capitalization rate. And that capitalization rate is a ratio that deals with value and it's it's expressing the value of the relationship between cash flow and and purchase price or appraised value so whatever the value of a particular thing is um, your your capitalization rate tells you um, the the relationship between uh, the cash flow generated and the value of the property So that's what a cap rate is or capitalization rate is. Uh, So when it comes to borrowing money, when you go to the bank, if the bank um, has a shortfall with its balance because of its depositors, it has to go borrow money to make that coverage. Okay. And so that rate is what they pay when they have to go borrow money. Um, So there's a bunch of different indexes and they loan money out at a particular rate that's expressed with a margin above the discount rate or the Fed funds rate. It depends on what um, interest rate index that they're using to generate that, but that's where you get margins. And so that, Mm -hmm. so the difference between the, the Fed funds rate and uh, your eventual retail interest rate, there's a spread on there and it's called margin. And that's where they make their money by lending the money to, so they borrow it at one rate and then upcharge it to lend it to you. So that's, you know, when you talk about borrowing money, that's what you got to be paying attention to is watching that rate because all the other interest rates are based on that and it changes. Not a lot, 
but it changes regularly and maybe multiple times throughout the day, depending on what the rate is and how, how whether they're based, you know, um, what the interest rates are based on. So some of them are based on treasury notes, some are based on the Fed funds rates. So you have to track that. So if you're looking to make a major purchase, like something, um, if you're talking about um, a major purchase like um, a home where you're going to be doing long-term financing, that's something that you want to pay attention to. So, but that's just curious. So if you're ever wondering how they come up with that, it's it's an addition onto that Fed uh-huh. funds rate uh-huh. or the treasurer or what, whatever they're basing um, uh, their particular loans on. So that's it for your moolah word of the day. I am super excited about today's guest because I think this is, we. who was the other young guy that we had on? Was it Tom Corson Knowles, the book author guy, the book publisher? He was a book publisher. Yeah. And um, he was like, oh, he's, he was a while ago, like three, four years ago, I think, perhaps. Is he this young, though? Um, he was close. He was yeah. early to mid-20s. And so so this is one, this is probably one of just two super young entrepreneurs that I'm totally impressed with. And I have a personal stake in it because uh, Mr. Lozanich will be joining us. Um, his father's like my big brother and I was one of his first mentors. He was my first protege. So I was pretty excited about that. When he was 12, he came to work at the real estate company that him and him and his, da- his dad and I had. And uh, um, it was really exciting because I taught him how to cold call and get on the phones and talk to people and stuff. But he had already been hustling. He had already been hustling long before. But I think I was the first mentor outside of his father that he had. So, you know, we worked on sales skills and stuff like that. And it was just, it was really fun. And so it's so exciting to see how he's changed. And uh, we're going to talk about this amazing accomplishment, this incredible business he built when he went off to college, not including the business of hustling cars and stuff like that as he was growing up, but he created an amazing business and sold it, you know, um, for an extraordinary son. So I was really excited about that. Yeah. So, um, so I'm pretty excited to have him on today. So, uh, let's welcome Michael George Lozanich the second to the show. Michael, welcome to unlock your wealth radio. It's so great to have you on today's broadcast. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. It's so crazy because I think back because, you know, sometimes I see you as this amazing man. And then sometimes I see you as this little 12 year old that I was mentoring. (laughs) And now you're like taller than me. It's crazy how time flies. I know it it goes by so quickly, so quickly. Well, the reason why I wanted to have you on the show is because you have led such an interesting life so far. And uh, you're fortunate enough, your dad's been a past guest on the radio show, and he's a big real estate investor, developer, and you've had some really great examples. And uh, it's always interesting to see how kids, like whether they follow in their parents' footsteps, like Michael's son is a really famous musician, uh, as as well as Uh Michael being a big, you know, award-winning composer and stuff. And so it's always interesting to see the kids that follow in the same footsteps and how they kind of do their little twist on it. And uh, so uh, you started out at a very young age as an entrepreneur. You were my first protege at 12, but I wasn't your first business experience. Kind of tell us a little bit about your first experiences in business. So, yeah. So my business ideas originated when I was, you know, extremely young, like you said, 12 years old was the first time I met you. But before then, that's when I started having the um, entrepreneurial and business um, business mind. Um, it all originally started off 
Um, when I, you know, through the savings and through birthdays, um, I was able to develop or acquire a little bit of funds. Um, and with the funds that I had available, I was trying to contemplate ways that I was able to um, develop and further my wealth, you know, before the age of 12. Um, and I was trying to think of things, lemonade stands, that's everybody wants to do that, but there's no real margins on that. Um, so I actually originally started doing house sitting opportunities in the neighborhood. Um, so I was doing the house sitting opportunities, um, acquiring some funds through that. And then from there, I went to um, acquiring all train vehicles. So ATV, quads, motorcycles, dirt bikes, um, all before the age of, you know, 12, 13 years old. And I would find, you know, dilapidated ones that needed some work that, you know, that they were value. The price was great, knew they needed some work, and I was able to fix, fix them up and flip. So a little fix and flip. Um, so I did, did that, um, developed my skills doing that, and I was able to do enough of those where I was able to move into cars. Um, so I was actually buying and selling cars by myself before I was even legally able to drive. I, I, I find that so fascinating. <laughs> so it was always funny because, um, both, you know, before I was able to drive, there would be three cars at the house for only two people that could drive. <laughs> uh, and, you know, my mom had her car, my dad had his car. I would also have a car that just sat there, but it was also, it was a little money-making thing for me. So I was able to do... Um, you know, I, that entrepreneurial thing, um, I was able to do, perform that entrepreneurial skill. So what made you decide at that young age? So you were probably what, nine, 10, when you started doing the fix and flips? Correct. Uh, so at Correct. nine or 10, when most kids are into video games or playing in the desert, cause you know, we grew up here in the desert, you're thinking about your financial future and building wealth. Exactly. Um, I know that sounds, you know, a little cliche and a little odd, but I always, um, you know, I have always thought about, you know, the, you know, long, the longevity of wealth. I've always thought about it having it being long term. You need to plan. Um, so that sort of came into me and it was I was always just so fascinated by the business world that no matter what the topic of conversation was, as long as it was business related, I was able to be, um, you know, in tune and, and, you know, within the conversation. So what inspired you? Like, was there a particular person or an event that made you start thinking long-term? How, how did you come across that? Because I, I guarantee other kids your age weren't doing that, were they? No, they weren't. Um, so having, you know, seeing, um, you know, as, Growing up in a family where both parents worked for themselves, you actually do recognize a lot of the struggles that um, you know parents go through. So I would recognize, and you know, both my parents worked for themselves, so they had struggles every day, and I recognized them. I was able to see them. I was able to, you know, some kids were able to go do certain things. Um, they were able to go travel here, uh, but we weren't because we had to be, you know, we had to stay where we were, we had to stay in, in at home in Arizona because if um, mom and dad didn't go and work their you know, that income for that day would be gone. Unlike other individuals and other parents where they were able to go work, you know, corporate, you know, for a corporate environment, they get the paid time off. Mm -hmm. So that was never really an option um, for us when we were younger. 
So I was trying to think of ways that I would be able to have that ability in the future when I'm married and have kids that I, you know, once I finally work for myself again, that I'm able to take that time off and spend the time with them. Okay. That's really interesting. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, and, and to think about it, yeah, your mother is an interior designer and she's, you know, been freelance for as long as I've known her. And, and so that's a, that's a really interesting point that you were able to pick up on that. Now, so what, what did other kids your age think of that? What were they saying to you? Well, they didn't really, you know, of course they all thought it was cool and they thought it was a great, you know, Hey, well, this is cool. Like I want to do the same thing. Um, so I actually, um, I guess in one aspect or another, I became a consultant at a really young age <laughs> because I would have, you know, kids come up to me, ask me, well, what can I do? What can we do for this? Like we, you know, my kid wants to do this. Well, what, you know, like let's sit down with Michael and figure out what his advice was. Um, so another little endeavor that I did while I was in school was I, in addition to the ATVs and the automobiles, I actually sold candy at school in middle school. It was, and I, it was all, it was so, um, you know, so profitable and so lucrative. I actually had a lock on my backpack. So people would not be able to, um, you know, come and steal, you know, steal my merchandise. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> or your profits tucked away. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. So, and that was, a, um, I was the only person at school doing that. So I was like, Hey, you know, it's like a little monopoly. I'm the only one that's doing it. So that's great. So that was my that was my push and guide to other kids at other schools that I met through um, youth football because they you know of course like their parent parents talk they're like oh this is what Michael's doing well hey our kid wants to do that you know let's have Michael sit down with you know my son and we can figure it out um, so that's when the consultant came in so I <laughs> told some kids about their things and they were able to you know do what they could um, but the interesting part is is how people continue that longevity and how some people don't. Yes. You are listening to Michael Lozanich Jr. on Unlock Your Wealth Radio. This segment is sponsored in part by KeepMyID.org, the only service that actually prevents identity theft. All others are just monitoring services. Put your credit on lockdown for Unlock Your Wealth Radio listeners by visiting our website at unlockyourwealthradio.com forward slash KeepMyID and click on the link to start protecting your financial future right now. So, Michael, let's fast forward a little bit. So you are buying and selling cars. You're super hustling. And then what we don't, what we haven't talked about is that you're a superstar football player. And so you earned a scholarship to Tulane, correct? Yes, correct. Okay, yes, so your entrepreneurial endeavors didn't stop when you left Scottsdale. They continued with you to Tulane. So talk a little bit about the challenge you identified first and then the business that you created as a result. Yeah, so... Um you know, like, as you just said, it was, I was, um, I was recruited out of high school to Tulane, um, for, to be the, um, long snapper for their division one football team. So I recognize that as a great opportunity Tulane, known as the Harvard of the South, um, people, you know, once you mention the name, their eyes, you know, open up because they're like, Oh, wow, that's amazing. That's great. So I, you know, backtracking a little bit was I made sure I went to a university to play football that would not only benefit me 
athletically, but academically for the future, going back to that longevity that I was speaking of earlier. So I was looking for something that would ha have the longevity and the, you know, the wealth down the line. Um, so like you said, my entre entrepreneurial drive, I was going to be gone out um, from New Orleans, returning back home to Scottsdale for about two or three weeks. Um, and I had, an, uh, I had a car. I had a car in New Orleans, and I was trying to find a place where to store my car. I didn't feel safe leaving it outside in the streets of New Orleans. It could, one, it could get flooded, um, theft, stolen, damaged, things like that. Um, I didn't feel confident having my friends um, watching my car. Um, <laughs> so there wouldn't have been much watching. <laughs> there would not have been done much watching. There would have been a lot of you know, joy writing. Sure. Um, so I was trying to think of other ways of like, what, you know, how – you know, in typically every major metropolitan city, there's a collector car storage facility. Um, but there was not one in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And I thought, <laughs> heck, why isn't there one in New Orleans? Rains all the time, limited park, extremely limited parking, next to no garages. Um, and I recognized there was the wealth and abundance in New Orleans that there are in a is in a lot of other you know major metropolitan markets, um, and it came back to my you know sense of I always look for an opportunity where it's the only one. That's how you know sort of like a monopoly in some sort of aspect. Um, you know, be the first one to do it. If you do it appropriately, then you know you can grow your brand image, etc. So I started, um, you know, a collector, a luxury collector and exotic car storage facility in New Orleans. Um, it started from a pitch deck from like a piece of paper that I went around to investors and it grew to an eight, um, 8,000 square foot, um, warehouse facility, um, with around $15 million worth of, um, automobile assets. You know, ranging, <laughs> yeah, um, ranging from everyday driven BMWs to multi-million dollar, extremely valuable um, exotics. So if you were looking for a way to just hang out in cool cars, you certainly picked a, a really good avenue. <laughs> exactly. It was always fun because I would always joke with my friends one day like, oh, well, what'd you do today? And I said, oh, it was such a rough day. One Maserati was parked in front of the Lamborghini, and then I had to move a Lexus, and I had to deliver a Ferrari over here and go pick a Bentley. <laughs> and people are like, totally hashtag first world problems. <laughs> right, right, exactly. That's awesome. And, you know, and at such a young age to, to be able to have the foresight to create a business like that is is pretty amazing. So for those would be entrepreneurs. Um, so mm -hmm. let's start thinking in terms of specifics. So what were some of the specific challenges that you had to overcome? Give me like two of them. Because I'm sure that there's always a lot, but yeah. So a specific challenge that was extremely difficult to overcome was the age barrier. Um, like we said earlier, I was in, I was a student at Tulane University. I was in college. I had um, athletics to worry about, and I had an academics to worry about. So what a big issue, um, a big issue that was challenging for me was, you know having people understand that they need to, you know, look over and surpass this age of mine. There's actually, age is just a number. There's actually a lot more substance and context to the whole situation. Once you, you know, once you were to sit down with me and realize my 
idea, my passion, um, and my, you know, my goals for this type of enterprise. It was really exciting to watch it grow. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Seeing it from, you know, a small, you know, one or two cars to a, you know, $15 million automobile collection was, you know, it was, it was great. Well, yeah, I mean, because I got to see the first pitch deck, so that, <laughs> it was really <laughs> exciting for me to watch you grow. So, if so, when you think about hindsight, hindsight is always twenty twenty. So, what do you know now that you wish you would have known when you first got started? That's a, that's always a tough question. Um, the part that I something that I wish I knew then that I knew now was. You know, it's a hard thing for people my age and this millennial, um, this millennial um, age group is they want this instant satisfaction where they yes. want to be able to, you know, get some, you know, pay, pay for something, get it right away. Um, they want to be able to achieve the success as quick as they can. It's sort of as the get rich quick thing. Instant um, gratification. I, exactly. So what I was, um, I... I was one of those people beforehand where I was, once the doors open, I was, you know, I was knocking, I was wanting to get cars in there. I was wanting to get people in there. I wanted, you know, wanted it to develop and I wanted to get it done as quick as I could. But what I realized was I was doing everything I could and even more, but I did not really give it the full chance and opportunity for it to grow even more than what it could have and what it, and what it currently has. So my thing was, is I really wish I stuck to it longer than I originally did. So, so put more effort into the planning phase or the execution phase, not been in such a um, hurry. I, I guess don't not be in such a hurry, but realize that the process is significantly longer than anticipated. Okay. It's not like a get, it's not a get quick, you know, quick type thing. It does take its time and you need to realize that you will be doing it for not a couple months, but you'll be doing it for a few years to have the correct you know, notoriety behind it and to grow that image that you want it to be. Yeah. I mean, if you think about brand development over the years, I mean, how long has it taken Coke to build their brand? You know, just exactly. you know, Walmart didn't pop up yesterday, that sort of stuff. You know, even right. some of our newer brands that are household names like Amazon, you know, that's been around almost 20 years now. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, you know, uh, nothing is nothing establishes itself um, overnight. And, you know, one of my favorite phrases that my husband says is I'm an overnight success. It only took me 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's a, that's a great, it's a great, great quote. <laughs> so if you were to uh, give advice to a would be entrepreneur, so what additional advice would you share with somebody who is starting out, has some big ideas, big hopes and dreams? Yeah. So what I, so, you know, advice that I would give is one, you need to do your due diligence. You need to make, you need to underwrite everything appropriately. You need to need to make sure what you are saying and what you are delivering to an investor or a um, customer slash client um, is legitimate. You need to see that there is an actual need for the opportunity. 
um, if you recognize that there is a need for something, you have the opportunity to grow more than other types of enterprises. Um, so that, that's, that's my big thing is you just need to make sure that it's a sustainable idea. Now, once it's a sustainable idea, you need to do the whole, like I said earlier, the underwriting aspect of it, the financial analysis. Um, everybody loves, you know, everybody's loves, you know, hearing of a great, you know, a great business idea, but what is their instant question once they, you know, once they hear about this business, what's the type, what's the, you know, what's the return? What type of money can I make? What's, what is the financial aspect of, to it? And that's something that I, you know, would recommend to a lot of entrepreneurs is be prepared for all of those types of questions and that, you know, analysis that, um, potential investors are asking. Um, and then another thing that I'm recognizing is, is it doesn't have to be a big, you know, huge idea, like in a tech company or anything like that. Um, because, you know, those are all, you know, in my opinion, those are all fabs that will slowly, that will slowly drain out and there'll be the next thing that comes into play. So try not to, you know, reach as high as you want, but you need to have, um, you know, you need to be down to earth and realize, you know, the actual opportunity there. You need to realize what is realistic. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. And we'll, we'll look forward to seeing your next adventure coming up. For those of you who are interested in Michael's following, there's some really great articles that were written about him and the success of Motorsports Garage. You can find all of that on his show page. So all you have to do is visit unlockyourwealthradio.com and visit Michael's show page for the links to his past articles and so much more. For the maestro of moolah, Michael Terry, I'm Heather Wagonhalls. Now go out and Unlock Your Wealth today. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is produced by Heather Wagonhalls and the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com and its affiliates are copyrighted 2017 with all rights reserved. For more information on the Keys to Riches Financial Wellness Series, please visit our website at www.unlockyourwealth.com.